0: Hello, and welcome to the power of her voice in the fight of the Origin Brew podcast, the podcast that exposes you to the voices, stories, and strength of different community leaders' journeys to create freedom with your host, Dr. Terrence Ruth, and our guest for today, Valerie (laughs) Ervon.
1: to the origin brew podcast uh, where we create a platform to discuss social justice um, issues that impact black and brown communities um, and indirectly all of america Um, this platform will educate um, and infuse listeners with the complexities of the highs and lows and the strengths of uh, black and brown leaders in the life of a of a leader who's on the front line of uh, injustice. Um, Origin Brew cast as a spotlight on the interconnections of injustices. Also, we educate people on just what does it mean to lead a life. So we, we're we giving a sneak peek into the life of leaders across the country. Um, today we have Valerie. And and again, we have a little history because we've worked together in, uh, in North Carolina and uh, and on behalf of the Justice Love Foundation and the Origin Brew team, thank you for being here today, Valerie.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: <laughs> so w- w- we'll start with um, first uh, introducing um, America to sort of your journey, because you are a dynamic attorney. You've you've been in social justice. You've been paying people's bail to get out of jail. Who's been arrested in marches. You've you've flown across the country talking about uh social justice issues. You have uh I mean you you're in your own right. Your journey leading up to where you are at now is impressive. And then you then you enter this new space where you become sort of the uh the shining light for people who are trying to understand um why have high end fashion been so um um, untouched by really difficult conversations and you're bringing that difficult conversation to that space. Mm-hmm. And so if you could just give us a, just a a bio of your journey of, you know, how did you, you know, law school into where you're at now?
2: Yeah. Um, I came out of Howard Law, Howard University School of Law in 2014. And I'd actually gone to law school straight from college. I was really young when I went to college. Uh, my parents are immigrants from Nigeria, so, um, just, they just throw you into school <laughs> whenever <laughs> they feel like you're ready. So I graduated high school at 15, actually, wow. and started a wow. uh, community college here in the United States, wow. then went to a four-year college, and then went to law school. Um, and, uh, at, in law school, I knew I wanted to do civil rights law. I, I think at that time, I didn't really know what that meant. Um... Uh, um, and after leaving law school, I ended up at an organization that was working on a civil rights, a voting rights uh, case here in North Carolina um, in Orleans, the Billie Supreme Um, and was just a, a legal assistant on the case, helping whichever way I could. It had been ongoing for years. Um, and then after leaving there, uh, joined the Poor People's Campaign as a um, legal support coordinator for the launch of the Poor People's Campaign. And so coordinating attorneys across the country to help uh, with legal, assistant on, um, legal assistance on direct action, civil disobedience, um, also figuring out how to, you know, get bail funds for folks who um, were arrested um, due to any civil disobedience or direct action. Um, and then after that, now, presently, I am still a part of the Four People's Campaign team through Repairs of the Breach. And I do development um, work for the organization and external relations work for the organization. And I think all of that experience is probably why I hold the space, as little as it is in fashion today. Um, and what I do in the influencer or fashion or blogging space, I think all of that training as far as seeing advocacy, seeing how to build campaigns, seeing how to provide support for people that's non-traditional, especially when you're talking about social justice issues, I think has led me to doing what I do now, um, which is advocacy in the, in the fashion space. So, yeah, now, so, so it's been a roundabout, roundabout <laughs> career. <laughs> you,
1: you know what's fascinating is um, my brother is in high fashion and he designs um, denim clothes uh, for women. Yeah. And he's a black male who often, um, I don't know if he's ever challenged some of the basic principles. And it's when I listened to you in several of your messages where, you know, I started to ask him, why haven't you seen um, a challenge to uh to questioning body norms, gender, um, sort of... Really, they try to define gender voices um, in the context of traditional male, female roles. Um, Also, um, what beauty is and what beauty is not. And then also Mm -hmm. that links to uh, what does it mean to be black and what does it mean to not be black. Um, Mm -hmm. How have you seen your work in that space transpire into what we're seeing now with the George Floyd and the sort of the protests in the street. What's the relationship, the connection between those two?
2: yeah it's it's interesting. I think in the fashion space, I think black people, and brown people in general in fashion are literally just trying to make it as with any other industry and so it's it's a lot more difficult than people think to rock the boat Mm. because you know people have been ostracized people have been boycotted if you say anything and I think that you know for a long time it's at the end of the day, what are you willing to lose? And for people, that's their entire livelihood. Mm. And there's a lot of pressure on people to just perform and do the work. And maybe, you know, if you, if you just do it right, if you, you know, do, wow. if you're great at your craft, you surely will rise to the top. But I think people are recognizing more and more that it's just, it's more than that. It's mm. more than that. And I think that this moment that we're in with the killing of George Floyd and all the other murders that happened right before and right after, I think why there's such an uprising now and it feels like a lot more people feel bold to say something is because, the fashion industry tried to exploit the, the, the Black Lives Matter movement, and it, that backfired wow. because I think you know we were seeing folks. If you if you weren't saying anything on your page as a fashion brand or a company, people would call you out. Wow! And then when they said something, it was like people who worked there, are like, oh wait, wait hold them, hold on, like one second. <laughs> you treat your black employees this way, and so how dare you, you know, put up a black square, or say you're donating $25,000 to a black nonprofit. Um, It just doesn't line up. And so I think for, for folks on, you know, a lot of times I try to describe it as, if you, everybody can do like what I'm doing, I don't think I'm doing anything that special. I think that there's advocacy work for everybody, because if there's racism in this country, Still, that means there's racism at the place that you work, and so you can't disconnect one for the other. Like fashion is in this bubble; it's a part of society, and so we're still dealing with systemic racism. And you're gonna have; it's gonna come up in the in the spaces that you work because it is there; it is the foundation. And I, I, one more thing is that you know, it's taken so long to figure out how to change this industry because a lot of people feel like, well, this is the way it's always been. And so it's hard to really reimagine what a fashion industry looks like being led by people who are saying we need to go back to more community wow. sustainable, um, you know, equitable kind of industry because it's it's pretty much always been this way. And it started really the fashion industry as we know it started as at a time where black people were not a part of mm society mm. um as par, as per the law mm. <laughs> and wow. so um you know we can't expect uh integration in fashion uh, because we don't even have integration <laughs> with society in society in a real way yes so yeah let me stop there
1: <laughs> no no no, no. I, I think it's great and i want to i want to zoom in a little bit to because um, you've been in spaces where conversation is difficult, you've probably been exposed to circumstances that the average person wouldn't see or hear. Um, How are you feeling in this moment? Is is this moment distinctively different for you or is it it something that you've been used to over time and you're glad that it's being seen by the larger audience?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it does feel different. I think I've heard a, a number of people say that too. It feels different, it feels like we actually have the leverage and a chance to implement some of these long-term um, things that we've been fighting for for so long. I think at the same time, you know, when you look back on history, there were those moments of, the, this is not the first uprising. And so I'm sure people felt the same way, you know, at those times, like this is really the time where we can make a difference. I think the real, the real, point is that we're gonna have to keep the pressure on like this every day mm. after this moment mm. um, and I know that you know whenever something drops in fashion about you know somebody put up a blackface sweater or they did xyz you feel that kind of energy like oh my gosh we've got it we've got to move we got to do this but then people are like oh well it's just a cycle it's gonna happen again the reason it's happening again is because we take the pressure off we take ah. the gas off they give us one thing and we say oh that's enough um, I think people are just not asking uh, for enough. I was actually—it's so weird. I was—I was watching um, the June twentieth, the, the Poor People's Campaign program, and I heard the one line that stuck stuck with me from Reverend Barbara's speech was. It would be a shame if we demanded too little right now like wow. this moment is so big wow. and it would be that's a shame good. if all we took away wow. was just that's good the little they're offering the painting in the street wow. the, you know what I mean. that's
1: good so that's that
2: good. really stuck with me wow and, and and
1: staying staying there for a second um are you seeing a shift in power or is that is that to yet be seen at the elections or the, down the road are are we seeing that right now with, with, with this feeling or is, or or do we still need to exercise some sort of action to see if the power has definitely shifted or not
2: yeah and so we're like blurring the lines between like fashion and <laughs> actual <laughs> society um no i mean like i definitely don't feel um Qualified to make that prediction as far as society in general. There are people who are doing this work day in, day out, who, can, who are on the ground and know you know where it is, but you are seeing movements um, sort of come out of people who have been working for years, for wow. decades in their community, and it's gonna take that kind of intersectional movement and community to actually shift power, I think, bro- more broadly, which is you know the kind of work that the organization I work for does. I think in fashion, you're not seeing people give up power. You're seeing mm. some people forced out of power, but you're not seeing an agreement to actually shift systems and power structures. And mm. so you're seeing brands apologize. You're seeing them donate or you're seeing them set up diversity boards, mm. but they're going to be led by the same people who That's good. okayed that system. And so how do we really expect change there? And I, I want people to not be, short-sighted in what we're actually trying to change. It's the system, not, you know, I, I don't really care about your sweater. It's whatever <laughs> made that sweater possible that I care about changing.
1: You, you know, so the Justice Love Foundation is trying to challenge traditional philanthropy. We call it philanthropic activism. Um, mm-hmm. And we're seeing where um, shifting power in that space is just as complicated as you mentioned. Again, the history mm-hmm. the beginning of that history is very similar to fashion um, yeah. the departments they create during this season of creating an equity fund or create it still is a branch off of their mainline work or their mainline yeah. funding or their mainline philosophy um how did yeah. what inspires you during this time where it seems like it's a moment where change is possible, but you still have these very concrete systems that are still you know cemented yeah. into you know our, our you know daily life functions how you know how, what inspires you during this season where you're seeing mm-hmm. where people are hopeful but you're also seeing where there's some strong building blocks of you know sort of systemic racism that yeah. d- doesn't look like it's moving anytime soon mm-hmm.
2: and it's just you know it's the, it's the theory of like this is the way it's been and mm-hmm. I think people are starting to realize that actually it's not. These were (laughs) systems created by people. And so why can't we reimagine what a system that actually works for people for everybody looks like um and so i think that's the first sort of realization that that is really happening for people and i also think these moments are kind of like waves you know they they're they're picking up more people along the way and that's what you really need you really need to be able to build power with people across all these divisions who can actually bring about these systemic change and you know I've, i've been introduced to the philanthropy world over the past year. And yes, I think those 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 systemic roadblocks are there and you know one of the challenges to philanthropy is really making sure that um, philanthropy is funding movement work without the restric- restrictions Damn. of what success looks like for a lot of people who are doing the work. And I think oftentimes we want to be able to support uh, communities. We wanna be able to provide direct services to people because that's very lacking because of the failure in our local governments or our state or federal governments. But what we're not doing is challenging with our money wow. the. Systems. Wow. <laughs> We're not challenging what caused the homelessness, what caused people to not have groceries or food, what caused, you know, people not have health care. But we want to set up a clinic, which is important and needed. Yeah. But we have to see how those those things are connected.
1: Wow. And I want I want to shift uh, um, back over to to how you're reflecting in a moment. And in, 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 we have I have two questions left. This is the second to last question is how are you processing this moment? Um, You know, what what are you doing daily, et cetera, to really sort of have this moment sink into to to your psyche?
2: Yeah, I think it was at first it was difficult to focus on anything else. I think for so many people like me, I'm sure this is not unique to me, but difficult to focus and also still feeling like you had to do the work and some work uh, during that really difficult period I think obviously there are people still in communities that are feeling that every day there are people still in the streets there are people who are still you know advocating and doing direct action right now and I think for some people um, like myself I'm taking some time to just figure out okay what it is at least in this industry what are the next steps that I feel like need to be implemented and how do I take the time to put that together if that's written if that's developing more material is that figuring out how to build more campaigns. Um, I think everybody you know has a role and you know have everybody has different roles at different times too. Um, and so it's just been important to reflect, uh, to stay engaged, and not allow yourself to mm. get back to normal. Mm. <laughs> because, you know, to be quite honest, if I chose to go back to normal today, my life would be okay. Wouldn't wow. It wouldn't be, you know, fabulous. I wouldn't, wow. I'm not wealthy, yeah. but I'd be okay. Yeah. And so it's realizing that it's community. That wow. could happen to me too. It just hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And so if we just allow ourselves to pull back and not realize that you fighting on behalf of Breonna Taylor is not just you fighting on behalf of Breonna Taylor. It's you fighting on behalf of yourself and the community around you. It could be any one of you. And so still trying to stay engaged in that way and finding a balance because you will like lose it at some point (laughs) and just be completely exhausted uh, from everything else.
1: And and this is our last question. And I want to just... Do a brief commercial to say that I told my my staff about you and your profile, and they they said, "Oh, I want to meet Valerie." So, you, I know you received an email with like a million questions. So, on behalf of the Roof family, I apologize for <laughs> the questions. <It's> okay. <laughs> but they they are fascinated by your story and your stance um, and where you sit in the fight for justice. Very intriguing. Um, um, the the, the the platform in which you're seeking to make change. And so um, just want to let you know that when you get that email, <laughs> but in the, in the signature, it says, I apologize, Valerie, from TAN. <laughs> it's OK. It's okay. And, and like I, I
2: already got the email. I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> but important questions, important questions.
1: <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to close with a, with a fun question. Um, We are making a podcast uh, Sort of music list Listening list And so we Mm. ask all of our guests What song is, Is feeding your soul Right now and we had Nina Simone, we had several mm-hmm. others, so we had we had a good list of songs. Your song that you recommend will be added to a playlist that we'll share with our listeners once this podcast series is finished. Mm-hmm. So is there a song that's sort of feeding you at the moment? And you can say Yara if you need to, but if there's a song that's... <laughs>
2: There's so many. I feel like I go in between playlists. But Nina Simone, "July Tree" is something wow. I I listen to almost every day. Um, I've also, as problematic as it is, I've also been listening to the Hamilton soundtrack. Wow. I mean soundtrack. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> it's it's good. It just wow. doesn't cover enough. Wow. Um, but it's it's really good. Um, I would say, yeah, I would say
1: July Tree by Nina Simone. Wow. Well, Valerie, it's an absolute <laughs> honor to uh, have you on the podcast. We gift our guests with um, co- uh, gifts and coffee from local uh, uh, coffee shops. So you will have a gift in the mail from our coffee sponsor. Oh,
0: cool. and so just to say
1: uh, thank you for um, giving us this time and, and allowing your voice in your life to make it easier for uh those of us who are following your footsteps so thank you valerie we appreciate you
2: you.
1: thank you for being (laughs) on board uh again it's a pleasure thank you
0: origin brew is created and sponsored by the justice love foundation the justice love foundation uses philanthropic activism to stretch traditional philanthropy to include the quality of life of the community organizer. The Justice Love Foundation is a foundation that convene, support and invest in the lives of the grassroots community leader on the front line of social injustice. In the next episode, we're going to continue to give you intimate access to dynamic community leaders who are leading during these difficult times. The Origin Brew podcast gives you unprecedented perspectives into the struggles and victories of these leaders of social justice. The Origin Brew team also invites you to like and listen to our Spotify playlist, which is a collection of songs from our guests. Thank you for being a partner.